one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the What Culture Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Taylor, joined by Rich Hudson. Hello. And Jules Gale. Hey, guys. How are we all feeling? Because right now, Jules has come back from America. I've been trying to beat the final boss of Sekiro. Rich is moving house. There's yeah. a, lot of, a lot of fatigue in the room. I think collectively we might make half a human. But, uh, <laughs> as, you, as you can tell, I've got a bit of a tongue ulcer, so apologies if I sound a we, little bit like I'm mutating. We might make a FromSoft boss. <laughs> yeah. just, we've become <laughs> our own worst enemies. Um, but yeah, so all the stuff that's happened this week, um, there's a whole bunch of exposés came out from Kotaku. We've already covered them on the channel. You can watch like, me and Josh's thoughts on it as those things were breaking. Um, but it just seems to be bringing out this, this overall, or highlighting the general sort of disconnect between um, you know, artistic creative freedoms and the creative side versus the corporate whims of the biggest companies in the industry right now and I think I, I just want to pose the question um, why do you guys think that developers and publishers don't make exactly what fans want because unfortunately they are catering to what some fans want and those some fans happen to be the ones that actually spend money mm. money talks at the end of the day and creative freedom is I'd say it's a right of every human being and especially it's one that is pursued quite heavily within mm -hmm. the video games industry. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't make bank, you're not going to stay around. <laughs> and I'm yeah. really sorry to say that. I mean, how many independent games have we seen that look so interesting but just haven't got the funding or the mm. support behind them? And it's meant that those people have not had their dreams shared. Whereas mm. the most paint-by-numbers shooters and platformers and racing games they will stay in the public mainstream because they make money because they scratch that particular itch. Yeah, that's the thing that like obviously EA would back up and that was the, the comments that like EA's like top brass had said to uh, Amy Hennig when she was trying to get her Star Wars project over the line mm. was like, you know, FIFA's ultimate team makes like X many million a year. Like, where's your version of that? Mm. And she's like, well, that's just not what we're making. And it's like, well, if that's the if like that's the argument, I mean, this is all just a wider conversation. It's mm. not meant to draw conclusions. But like, if you go down that thought process, then, you know, why they could just make something that's entirely money hungry and entirely money focused. And as we found out this week, like EA mandate games as a service and recurrent spending methods. So it seems like that's the direction they're going. I mean, I feel like it's a real shame because I feel like the industry at the moment has not catered for the creative individual. And I feel like it used to. Mm. Uh, I feel like before you'd find a lot of independent game houses that had platforms like uh, Microsoft's independent store and things like that. They would launch and get support that way or mm. at least have the backing from Microsoft themselves. And nowadays it seems like they're hedging their bets on a few big franchises and not taking 
taking as many risks as it were developing new IPs mm-hmm. uh, I mean it's why we're seeing so many reboots it's why we're seeing stuff that's cemented in franchises that have already made it yeah. but that's not future proofing the industry in fact you did a huge deep dive on it I on the, the fact that the video game industry might be heading for its own collapse based on the weight of expectations that it's built for us and, like the, and you're seeing a lot of like the weird fallout because obviously gaming is bigger than ever right now and the amount mm-hmm. of money that gets like passed back and forth between developers publishers and whatever is, is just astronomical figures so they're always trying to like deliver on that and it's like the amount of time that the, these games take to put together the amount of different trends they have to encapsulate or like the amount of different visions that things that change over the years like Anthem was in development pretty much since 2013 or whatever mm. and it changed from being like a Dark Souls survival type game to this big old like loot shooter just Johnny generic type thing grind type thing um, and the, obviously the return on investment I mean it's sold like actually surprisingly well and, and but it's thing, not Bioware's name behind it more yeah. than anything else really and the fact that it's just like you can't just grab some friends and shoot some stuff and get some loot um, which is kind of what the division's coasting on but then that's the thing is that it highlights that sort of spreadsheet game design approach which Anthem beca- just became over time as their sort of focus was so disparate and they're like okay we can lock these elements down but the division is just trying to be a playable spreadsheet but but don't get me wrong I mean it, it sounds like that's a criticism if, if mm. anything that's an incredibly clever piece of marketing what right. they've done is like while we can sit here and say it's not the best game and it's not going to win any sort of like narrative awards mm-hmm. and things like that there are still clearly enough people who want to play this game mm-hmm. so it's catering for a market that exists that, it would be yeah. foolish for us to sit here and say that it's the wrong move for a company to make no, no that's is, that's the crux of the thing yeah. but it is it possibly is the wrong move for the creativity of the industry mm-hmm. to keep making these cookie cutter games yeah i think it's a, it's a balancing issue mm. ah, games um nice but <laughs> Um, because yeah like you say devs are making all these games or publishers are wanting all these games made but they're not necessarily going to be backing it up with those like first party third party Mm -hmm. single player as an example experiences that are going to be more creatively interesting like you take God of War from last year yes it's a reboot yes it's an existing Mm -hmm. franchise but it feels like they really did something with it they had that indie game mentality with it and I think that's the problem we've got that's why like all of Ubisoft's stuff is all it all seems so run of the mill because it's all just the same formula repeated over and over Mm -hmm. and over again it's like you have that formula that's fine do that with the division but take things like Far Cry take things like mm. um you know splinter cell and whatever else and do something do with new. it do something interesting with it mm-hmm. what's, what's interesting to note is the fact that there's a mentality of the companies that actually some of them share it and some of them don't there's a triple a mentality in in the likes of ea where they do basically put the money first and then maybe the customer experience second obviously partitioning off games to be sold as dlc and things like that but you look at say companies like yacht club mm. and you look at um love yacht club like uh, i'm trying uh, the rocket league guys who made that Psyonics. and then you look at uh, what's another huge indie game that was big, uh, like like super meat boy i was gonna say team meat yeah. yeah. like uh, the team meat did obviously binding binding of isaac mm-hmm. as well like those games there have continued to grow in success and size yet they've always maintained a independent game mentality which mm-hmm. is DLC if it does come out is usually free I mean look at CG Project Red with The Witcher yeah. like the or Shovel Knight they, or like they, yeah. they get to a size where they are huge and can now be considered as potentially AAA titles in terms of experience and content mm-hmm. but their mentality of the monetary gain isn't the same as approach in approach as EA has that, and, I, and I am singling out EA. It's just because it's the current. Well, they're, they're, EA and Activision are the two go-to as the most example. You know, they exemplify the, the corporate interest, the corporate mentality. Even though you can, on EA side, hold up something like their EA Originals program, yeah, that like still greenlights indie projects. I said the other day, I, I genuinely think EA are starting to turn themselves around a bit. Mm. Like I think that mm. obviously with Anthem, they've still like put their foot in it a bit. But like with the fact that they're, they're doing the originals, with the fact that obviously Dice managed to get Battlefield Five through as much as it hasn't mm. really done as well, but it's gone. They've said you know we're going to take away all the all the stuff that blows 
to Battlefield 1, we're going to get rid of the stuff that you would expect from us from EA. And I kind of think they're turning things around. I don't think it'll be gone forever, but maybe mm. they're, they're striding into doing that balancing mm. to make it so they are, you know, they've got their loot stuff that people enjoy. Like, I personally <laughs> don't understand. I don't, I don't enjoy the loot grind, right. shooting stuff. But, like, I know, as you said, there are people out there that like that. Mm. They're going to cater for that, but then they should also cater for the other people. And they are yeah. starting to do that with things like A Way Out, yeah. with things like the originals. They're really genuinely trying and I, i've got yeah. to give him credit for that i think it's just like i said i think it's just it's like a small part of their overall reach or whatever but it, it is good to see something like a way out wouldn't even exist and that game has one of the only original mechanics at all in gaming for the last like half decade what, the dual control the, it, it mandates a split screen you have to play yes. it split screen yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. it in for you know it's a, it's recommended you play it as a local uh co-op game and like uh, our couch co-op and like just nothing else is like that brothers like the same yeah. studio mandated that you you play it with like two con- two characters but it's on one controller with an animal that was, a, that was a phenomenal game. Yeah, and it's like that thing where that was EA putting the money behind that. So it's like at least some of some of their like uh, financial wing at least wants There's to try and highlight those ideas. Games, actually, this is something we can sell on the fact yeah. that it's a game, not something we could then bloat. But it's almost to me like that particular thing, like the you know the, the perception of that, the optics of it, like in a business sense, is like it's the big corporate company going, oh, but we're still planting flowers. We're still sort mm. of like you know we care about the environment as we their oils. One tree. <laughs> so, yeah, so like factories burn in the background, and um, so there's all that. But I think like I don't know if you think that like you were saying before about like the you know. In the, in the past, you would see like a, a wider variety of risks being taken. Like, I feel like the, the 2000s gaming industry that was, was that way was more. what the whole industry, industry was. Yeah, Since yeah. like yeah. the 1970s, mm. 1980s, it was just risks. Because, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you talk about the crash of 83, you talk about the entirety of like the first gen of consoles and what came before that. That was all based on just potential, not mm-hmm. on, on specifics. And I think that's what happened with like current AAA stuff is those specifics, they are blowing way out of proportion. Hence why when they tell me, I say, hey, we only made 4 billion last year. We wanted 5 billion. <laughs> yeah, because it's been in development. So I think I would be fine with, with like a quarter of that money. Thing. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, I mean, this is the thing. I'm always with that mentality, which is like, it's not up to me, the consumer, to pay the costs of the developer. If you, the developer, mm. choose to make your graphics cost you... 15 million dollars to animate a duck or something like that like that's not to me to have to help you recruit <laughs> yeah that hell losses. of a duck you know what i mean yeah but, yes. hell of a duck. but it's like i'm just saying like uh that's why i sometimes prefer the indie game mentality because you see those cheery little sprites you see that real hand-drawn animation techniques that go into it love in a different way that cost time mm. maybe not money mm. and i think i prefer that than yep. somebody going here's a photo realistic you know duck Leaf. pond i don't know why i've gone for ducks again but it's but because that's the whole thing is they'll spend so much money on arbitrary stuff it doesn't really matter to the crux of mm. why you're playing that game but it gives it that whole triple a look that was yeah. what um uh what's the, the team behind um hellblade i completely forgot their name ninja theory ninja theory um yeah that whole thing i was thinking team ninja but that's dead dead or alive yeah ninja theory wanted to prove that you could do a triple a looking game on a modest indie budget which mm-hmm. is what Hell, hellblade was and it was tackling that idea that like what does the average consumer look for will they respond to something like that and it did make it some money back and like you know they, they yeah. made it was a it was a successful project i mean it's down to the engines you use as mm-hmm. well because i mean we were talking just before we came on to the podcast that ea are mandating that every sort of project that they're working on uses the frost by engine yeah. and now that, I think that'll go away. That actually hampers you because while you have, you're saying to yourself, yeah, I'm recouping my losses of investment because I'm actually using this product on every single project that I'm working on. Mm -hmm. You're actually hampering the development of said engine because you're saying, right, everyone's using the same one. Once you've pushed it to its limits, where do you take it? And mm-hmm. you get games that end up looking homogenous. Well, the and the report on, on Anthem side was like, if they wanted to, uh, you know, just try a new lighting model, it would take a whole day to to like quote unquote bake that in, as they call it, yeah. in the dev team, um, to see what that looked like the next. 
next day. That was the thing that also hampered on Destiny's side, just the tech they were working with. They couldn't actually see. It's like deleting a word in a, in a well, document and it taking a day to see the new sentence. They said, didn't they, that, uh, with Anthem in particular, that they had to test a lot of the air quotes online functionality offline, offline <laughs> which meant that they couldn't understand how the... Uh, the marketplace for an online thing would work. Yeah. So they had to guess, which means that explains why we have the loot rates being so incredibly low for stuff so like much, Legendaries yeah. and stuff, because you wouldn't be able to test it properly with a player base that's active. Yeah. It's just putting a, a developer out of their depth, mm-hmm. basically. Because, mm. like, you know, games switch engines all the time. As an example, like Wolfenstein The New Order and Wolfenstein 2, they switched engines. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know what the engine was for the first one, but the second one was based on the Doom engine for 2016. Mm-hmm. And they did feel different. It played a damn sight better. Yeah. That's fine. But when, like, as EA is an example, who are pushing Frostbite on everyone. Not to say that Frostbite is a bad engine. No, I mean, no, look, no, at, no, look no. at Battlefield 5. It can, well, yeah. It is anything first person, mm. brilliant. Absolutely stunning. I mean, it really threw me when they said, oh, FIFA's running on Frostbite yeah. now. And I'm thinking, what? I know. That um, was like the weird, weird like, thing they made happen. Um, Respawn, obviously, a subsidiary of EA, of Infini- X, Infinity War people, obviously, they used to use the, I think it's the, called the IW engine, or right. whatever they call it every year mm-hmm. with COD, when they, they change it, they Frankenstein it. Yeah. You know? But when they moved yeah. over to EA, they used Source, which mm-hmm. is Valve's engine that was introduced in 2003. Mm-hmm. They've been using that for Titanfall 1 and 2 and Apex. So Good. they've been used, I mean, when did when did the split happen? It must have been 2011? Yeah. It was Modern Warfare 3? Sure. So, you know, like that was a eight, long time seven, ago. Seven, eight years ago. So. My life before Sekiro was a yeah. blur. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you, so like using Source, they've been doing it for so long. And if they could suddenly turn around and go, hey, okay, here's a new engine. You've got to use it mm. now. Sorry. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's like, for example, it, for example, in the Walkwood Trophies, they turn around and go, okay, all of you use Premiere. You're all going to use Avid now. You can use iMovie. You can all use iMovie. Yeah. And they go, uh, oh god okay it's like all of you like, like you were using a PC instead of a Mac yeah totally it's it's that same kind of it's, thing it just throws everything out yeah. of balance and I understand wanting to keep everything everything in house like hey look we, we can we can market the hell out of the fact it's on Frostbite which mm-hmm. they already do mm-hmm. quite rightly so but it can just throw things completely out of whack and make games that just don't work. Yeah. It's, it's why um, uh, when they were coming to do the driving sections of, uh, I can't remember which game, they went back to Criterion, who were makers effect. of, uh, that was it. For yeah. Andromeda, yeah. Yeah, so that they went back to them to basically say, like, look, we know you have a pedigree in racing, can you come and help us with this? Mm-hmm. All because of the fact that that team who was working on it had didn't have a clue how to make that racing and driving structure Feel work remotely in, their, in their game. <laughs> well, it's like how uh, it's Software doing Rage. You've got Avalanche in to do the driving yeah. Rage because they don't know how to do it. But at least, and I mean... they did just cause... They just got series. Uh, and they're driving, and that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So. And don't, don't get me wrong. Like most of the time, when they call in somebody, it's actually the best possible thing. Like, t- like tag teaming on a project like that can result in some fantastic stuff. Like I can't remember who it was, but they brought in a a company to do a multiplayer element of. Uh, I believe it was Bioshock 2. Mm. And I just remember that being one of the better things about the entire game. Okay. Yeah. I think all of it like speaks to like to bring it back around to that whole like the way that the sort of like, you know, the, the corporate aspects of gaming, the whole like you've got a deadline, you work to this, this is the 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 spec of the general project, the thing that you're aiming for. Like how much do we think that like games need that overarching, you know, creative force behind it? Like God of War has uh, Corey Barlog and he he was there from oh, beginning to end. Anthem started with Casey Hudson and then he left and it all fell apart. I'm just saying, like you the argument now of um our video games art is, they are. Is, 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 it, it totally is. But it's you need to treat them as such. Because right. good films have great directors. Mm-hmm. 
great games have fantastic directors as well. I mean, like, as much as he's disappeared up his own backside, Hideo Kojima is a fantastic <laughs> he director. He lives up because, there, and I love it. <laughs> because he gets what he wants yes. in his games, and I feel like that's what the fans resonate with. If you find a project that doesn't have a creative voice, or, in the case of Peter Molyneux, has too much Your favourite friend. I just, you know, well, one day I'm going to meet him. One day I'm going to meet him, and I'm going to shake his hand. You're going to hug him. Like, I forgive you, Peter. He's not going to have a clue. He won't have a clue what I'm on about. As he worked on Goddess 5. Yeah. Yeah, or he'll have some sort of like uh, it, the game will be on a seed and you grow the game itself according <laughs> the to him, game is it? the tree yeah, yeah, and you finally plant it um, yeah. that's, a, that's a, good thing, a great thing to drill down on though because we've kind of lost that sense of authorship over mm. in, the, in the modern in the decade in this modern decade like you know Ken Levine like obviously he stepped away from Bioshock and um, what do you call his uh, team that he was with oh, Irrational Irrational Games and it's like you know Hideo Kojima is one of the and Cory Barlog now are like you know a couple a handful of authors we can point to I should just try and, try and list the, the top the top ones in the industry at the moment right now so we got so Hideo Kojima is still going because obviously Death, Death Stranding. Stranding. We've maybe we've got Cliff Blazing. Is he? Nah, is Cliff, he? Cliffy B. Cliffy is Cliffy retired B is for now. Restaurants and stuff. Now. Uh, yeah, he, he's literally he's like, I'm done with the industry for now. Like uh, that's the thing. It's like you try to like find a specific figure that you can point to. And go, okay, it's their creative vision. I don't necessarily think it should have to be, but it definitely helps. The guy from FromSoft uh, with uh, Hidetaka Miyazaki. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I'd say that you with, felt his loss in Dark Souls too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. unbelievably. So yeah. that's a perfect example mm-hmm. of what we're talking about. Like having a game with a clear creative voice and then losing it. It's so apparent. Yeah. Like when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At Bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to Bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Before we go any further, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Masterclass. With the amount of time we spend discussing and analyzing video games on this channel, it's always good to understand exactly how these experiences are put together. And fortunately for me, I can do just that with Masterclass. With Masterclass's streaming service, you can learn from the best to become your best, studying and growing with over 200 plus of the world's leading instructors. For me, I've been having a blast using a class on video game design by The Sims creator Will Wright to find out exactly how game mechanics are designed around player psychology as well as learning how important playtesting is to shipping the titles that you and I both love. But it hasn't stopped there, as I've also been brushing up on my practical filmmaking skills directly from my favourite movie director Martin Scorsese, as well as trying to get back in the cooking game with Roy Choi's amazing course on intuitive cooking. Seriously, my kitchen is a mess, but my belly has never been more grateful. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to courses on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even via audio-only modes. Even better, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and 88% of members feel that the service has made a positive impact on their lives. 
And to put the cherry on top of that cake, right now, What Culture Gaming listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com forward slash gaming. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash gaming. What's that? You want it one more time? Well, that's the URL masterclass.com forward slash gaming. Right, now I'm going to watch Tony Hawk try to teach me how to ollie properly. I'll see you all soon. Because it's like you nearly like I mean, if, and plus like one of the things that the uh, Kotaku expose is pointing to is if you're on those teams, on those creative teams, you're on the coding side or the art direction or whatever it is, the mm. concept side, and you're trying to like bring this vision together. If you don't have like a, a mastermind, a go-to visionary to you know sort of bounce stuff off, like as much as you can point to EA in terms of mandating Frostbite and whatever in Anthem's case, um, reading the expose, it was and almost like it was a lot of Bioware's leadership. They had a three-person leadership team who weren't Casey Hudson and weren't the, the people who started the project, and they were just trying to do their best. But if they didn't have a vision, they don't have anything. To to go back to whereas in god of war's case they always had casey hudson to bounce back off and mm. in death stranding's case they'll always have kojima so maybe one of the reasons that we saw you know a great artistic create um, direction mm. across the 2000s is because we had more auteurs leading everything director. and yeah don't, don't get me wrong it doesn't mean that all of those games are great no, of course. But, but it just means that at least they were mildly consistent mm. across the board it's not very often you look at like a film for example that has more than two directors yeah yeah like, two I directors mean, is, a, is occasional but usually it's only one person true and it's like there like there is there's an identity thing with gaming now like because like we know of Corey Bollock and we love him we mm-hmm. just want to hug him and it's Good like luck. we know who he is we just know what he looks like <laughs> yeah. we know him mm-hmm. um, and losing that I think as you said that is something that that plagues games mm-hmm. it do, makes, do you it, know what it is it's putting a face to a video game actually helps with consumer trust I, I swear I swear I mean you actually find some people love and hate games based off of who the personality is yeah. who, who's actually behind it I found yeah. lots of people who really disliked Fallout 76 not because necessarily of the game but because of what Todd Howard promised and didn't mm-hmm. deliver like they well, accept, Sean Murray and No Man's Sky. Yeah, you accept yeah. you accept the responsibility of that if you are the figurehead. But I do feel like it steers a game in the in the direction that can be incredibly marketable. Mm. You know, but I think even with like top tier like AAA publishers, they have that. Like you've got mm. um, what's his face from Ubisoft, uh, Eve Gamer. Yes, uh-huh. like he's like he's a guy who comes out at E3. He's always there. You've got yeah. you know you know uh, Shigeru Miyamoto. Shigeru Miyamoto. You've got Reggie. I mean, not RIP, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. I wish yeah. we still had Reggie. Um, Reggie got, IP. Um, uh, Andrew Wilson, the yeah. you know, comic book supervillain. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, he's, yeah, he's the opposite, um, but yeah. yeah but even like, though I'm sure you know, he's a nice he, guy. He's a face. And then it's like, you when you read reports about Activision, like, I don't know what the guy who runs Activision's name is, but he's like, oh, here's his like $4 billion like paycheck. Yeah. And yeah. you see a picture of it, it's like, I've got no idea who you are. <laughs> yeah. Like, but it, the, 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 it's literally about as faceless as you can get. But that shift, though, you can literally go, like, I mean, it is, it's that, it is like a more like, you know, like you said, like you put an identity to the game mm-hmm. even before it's out and across mm-hmm. the pre release materials and stuff. And that shift shift over time as the industry's gotten bigger calls for a need for people like Andrew Wilson who like, he'll be regarded as one of the best business business people of oh, his of time course. like the amount of money and the way that he's changed like EA's directives and everything to just be entirely money well not entirely but uh, very much money focused mm. um, you know that that's great it ticks a lot of boxes on the business side but they lose a lot of their identity like EA don't have a, a face at, at all like well, you know other than the corporate guy somebody pointed out really interestingly uh, to judge a game's creative investment mm-hmm. check out their most uh, most hum- their most shared user interface because okay. you'll find there are some companies out there like Activision EA and whatnot uh-huh. actually do use a homogenized user face Rockstar uh, did you, for so, so like when you press pause it will always look the same no matter what game you're in like right. all the Assassin's Creed games use yeah. the set yeah and when thing. they changed it everyone was like what is this but then yeah. they've had that for the last two games and it's so funny because EA if you if you look at say like uh, Battlefront 1 the first Star Wars re 
food that they did. Right. Look at that menu. That's what it was. It was cold. Yeah. It was like minimalized. <laughs> and that's what people see the company that's what, as. That's, that's a dice thing, though. They, yeah. go, they go for heavy minimalism. And yeah. I, I mean, of course I like that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Got a Windows phone, have you? Oh. No. But it's funny, isn't it? Because it's shared across so many games. Yeah. You end up thinking that you're playing the same game as a result. That's that's almost like a group effort to give it an identity or, or a recognizability mm. that you... I don't, I, don't know, I don't know how much that comes from an individual saying, like, oh, the menu should look like this, as opposed to, like, an overall creative decision. But, like, I, I don't know. I, I it tell, kind I, of all falls together, though. I'll tell you what, I do. I miss interesting menu options. Yeah. Do you remember in, like, Tomb Raider when she used to get out the map and then it used to zoom in on that? And I'm a big fan. Firewatch like, has that too. The, uh, the division and their initial like E3 menus, like uh, all the sort of the watch stuff and oh, the holograms yeah. and all this sort of thing. Oh, who can forget the old Goldeneye one? Just looking into yeah, the watch. Yeah, <laughs> that was yeah. great. Spencer had some of that too. But, um, that, but that would have been a crazy decision. At some yes. point, somebody would have come up and said to them, "This is what it is to make you feel invested." Yeah, in the game. I feel like it's because games matured. Like mm. when you look mm. back at, um, you know, we're going into full technical like user interface stuff. Yeah, mm. like when you go back and look at older games, the UI can sometimes be the most like over the top, like stupid. Yeah. looking thing mm-hmm. and like the, the sort of more sleek the more serious approach to it nowadays it shows that sort of maturity but yeah I know what you, I see what you mean by it all becoming the same homogenized sort of mm. thing yeah. when you look at something like um, uh, when you look at dice things are all very minimalist you look at Wolfenstein that goes all future mm. of everything it's like they go super duper minimalist and it does lose that little bit of identity yeah. but it is I, extremely usable so. Oh yeah, and that's the thing. It's it's super usable. It's like, for example, no one ever seems to mention the shift in in Call of Duty from Modern Warfare Two to Black Ops One when they mm-hmm. stopped showing a line of bullets on your screen and actually showed you a number. Right, um, right. Yeah, that? Yeah. That, that, yeah. that changed up everything. <laughs> and whenever I go back to an older game before Black Ops and see that I yeah. can't tell how many bullets I've got left without counting it. See, yeah. at some point they would have had to have that conversation where it's like, okay, we're getting bigger. We're going to serve a wider fan base or a wider potential player base. So they lose the thing that makes it an identifiable factor of those earlier games. And actually weirdly, just, just to loop back into last week's podcast, that kind of comes into accessibility totally. as well. Yeah, yeah. Because if it's simple, it's easy to look at. Mm-hmm then it's, you know, it can, it can help. Yeah, well, I, mean, I understand the, the loss of identity yeah. through that. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in the most basic game design terms, the most simple game is arguably the best game mm. because it achieves 100% of its core principles of mm. this is the game, this is how you play it, and if the understanding and uh, ability to play between those two points is the shortest, then mm-hmm. it's the best game. That's yeah. the, the perfect segue back into the indie scene as well because mm. I was going to say, like, how much, do you, how much do you both think, or we all think, that like, how much do you expect monetization now in video games? Uh, I dread it, to be right. honest. But you I, expect I, it. I, I think it's because it's so prevalent yeah. in the industry that there were even games like with Sekiro I immediately thought to myself please don't put well, not, until, uh, like, until launch we didn't know we didn't know like, we didn't you know, know at all that's why I'm so skeptical because I had Activision's name yeah, totally. and, and, so. like, and now I'm fine with it if they want to patch in sort of DLC expansion stuff that's fine I uh-huh. understand that games adding in extra I will pay back, money to kill the but, final boss but, but let it, me do that but it, but <laughs> I'm kidding in, I'll tell you what uh, Resident Evil 2 is in my good books, right? Uh, it, is, it is a fantastic remake. They've yeah. done so well. But interestingly enough, Capcom announced, I believe it was a couple of days ago, a golden key that you could buy for four ninety nine. Just does everything. everything. Yeah. And it's things like that. I was like, I don't, that monetization didn't That's, need to be That for game. me is them um, selling you a cake and then eating it too or whatever because yeah. they're like, okay, like all the fans who got it up front, they get to have the experience, they unlock it, they feel, feel rewarded. We're not mentioning the unlock all key. Mm. And then a few months later, because we're not actively playing Resi 2 anymore, they go, okay, for the rest of you guys who just want to just want to see it all, yeah. quote unquote, then we'll let you pay your way through it. And they sort of get to do both sides. It was yeah. the same way uh, uh, Konami turned on the microtransactions uh, for Metal Gear Solid 5 and changed the rates so that like you actually couldn't maintain your 
your mother base unless you paid real money or whatever way yeah. after the, the review uh, period had ended um, but that idea of expecting monetization like we don't in indie games and it would be kind of frowned upon if they you know they did it but it would be that would be good business if you had something like Celeste like it has a really good assist mode and all these awards and everything mm-hmm. but I would be really it would be weird if uh, Matt Thorson the creative director suddenly decided to put a monetization element into Celeste even though it would make good business sense and yeah. it's that back and forward that like some companies indulge in and how much does that affect like the likability of it or the identity I think of there's it. just companies that really are very like they stand very strong on that opinion that they're not going to do that like CD Projekt Red mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like when they did the uh, the E3 teaser for, um, for Cyberpunk when it had like all the DOS stuff mm-hmm. or you could read into all the, the fine print of all the DOS stuff and they were like absolutely slamming the rest <laughs> of the industry <laughs> yeah. for various practices and uh-huh. that kind of people just go we're not going to do it well, I mean, like, another, yeah, it makes more business sense, but we're not going to do it. Yeah, another like, new example as well is uh, the Outer Worlds, like Obsidian's new RPG. They were oh, doing yeah. one of those like um, rapid fire questions with Game Informer, and they said, "Are there going to be any microtransactions?" And they said, "Hell no." Mm. And it's just like it is. I, I don't know if it's uh, that's the thing. Is it an old school mentality? Yeah, like, but then they went and put it on the Epic Game Store, didn't they? Well, it's a product but, for another podcast, <laughs> not, yeah. not this day. Yeah, it's it's very very strange mm-hmm. that one. I'm just trying to think of any indie game that has done it and sort of received a backlash. I mean, I well, guess you closest you could say is. Uh, payday two, um, it, it has it, that has probably the most DLC I've ever seen. But right. then again, at the at that time, fans didn't really care because they were because it, it, like, it wasn't oversaturated. Yeah. You look at something like mm. Team Fortress Two or CS:GO, which I I sort of all, I believe that like I personally believe CS:GO was one of the first to introduce the sort of loot box system. Mm. Mm. And mm-hmm. yeah, again, you know, it's all cosmetic. That's a conversation for another time. Yep. But like they were the first people to do it. Team Fortress did it. Um, and I played a hell of a lot of Team Fortress mm. 2 and I have sunk a lot of money into <laughs> right. that game getting my crap getting my, getting my banana <laughs> I want my fancy hats to bits yeah. uh-huh. it's like they, they did that first and no one really thought much of it because when you actually you know they did it first time like when you look at it from the outset does it change the game? No. Mm. Does it make them a lot of money? Yes but because this was a new thing at the time it wasn't as much frowned upon because it wasn't oversaturated. Well, even in EA's case, like, I mean, they had uh, random card packs and football uh, football card packs and loot, uh, loot boxes and mm. stuff back in 2000. It's called 2006 slash 7 UEFA Champions League. That was like the debut of those kind of like character sure. packs and stuff, uh, footballer packs. Um, but again, yeah, yeah, we didn't really like kick up that much of a fuss about it because it's like, oh, well, we get foil cards in real life or whatever. It's like, it's like buying buying avatar costumes on the xbox 360 yeah. store which i did and it's like so. but it, that's the thing like as the industry's gotten bigger and those budgets have inflated like how much is it a necessary evil quote-unquote to have these recurrent spending methods in there obviously ea mandate it they're gonna have it in a single player game regardless um not necessarily in jedi fallen order because it was started in development before they acquired it but that's the whole thing is like you know is it just is it something that we can accept because that you know it's just well the, the budget is this big it's been going on yeah, for this long they, they, that was the excuse before of like oh the budget's massive and you're not paying any more for the game than mm-hmm. you would be for a game 10 years ago therefore we we kind of need more money because the counterpoint to that so, is that it should be planned better from the from the yeah beginning. again I come back to that it's not up to me to pay yeah. back your costs right. exactly. like, like I, I will buy a game if I want to play your game I won't buy it out of guilt to support <laughs> the uh, like it's, it's, it's really bizarre if it's uh, an indie game and I believe in the developer or the development mm-hmm. house sometimes I will buy a game to support absolutely that, that. I have five copies of Shovel Knight <laughs> yeah. I will buy it again and this is the thing like I, I will gladly support that but I won't if I am told that the figures and the excess that you're spending on this yeah like you have to be brought back like, to us if, if yeah. you say to us like we've raised 500 million dollars on Kickstarter and we're putting it in here and it's that like okay cool you don't need any more of my money then Fair. Like, you don't, it's very like, rare that you'll see a Kickstarter project then have a recurrent spending model it's more mm. something like an anthem that's like you know yeah. the, the development was all over the place and they, you know they put a model in to get it like, back later I, I hate to say it but it's like you sink 60 quid into a game yes. now 
days if you buy it brand new. And we're lucky. We work in an industry where we get given review copies. Mm-hmm. And it means that for the most part, between us, we one of us won't have to pay for it at least. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, like... We shouldn't have to spend all this money to keep updating the game. I don't know. It's, it's, I'm just an old man when it comes to this. No, but I th- that's the thing, though. I think it's the clash of mentalities. And I didn't I didn't broach this to have a defined conclusion because I just mm. think it's an interesting talking mm, point. Mm. Um, but that's the thing. Like, yeah, how how acceptable can recurrent spending methods be? And based on, you know, a development, if a development went awry and they didn't, you know, they, they actually didn't plan for it, then is it more okay they, to put they, those they, things they, in? Yeah, yeah, we, I, we overspent 100 million on this game. Therefore, we're charging 75 quid for it. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, I, I feel like if you are really open and honest about it, at the very, very start of the game's development, say, like, look, it's a card trading game mm-hmm. where you will be encouraged to buy packs. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, you, at, I, look at Artifact, as much as it fell on its ass. Yeah. From the yeah. Art, from now, it's like, we're a trading card game. Yeah, like, you, it, you know what to expect. We're mm-hmm. charging you 15 quid for it. Yeah. It's this cheap because you need to put more money <laughs> and in. That's, and that's why I agree with that model. If you go for a lower price of entry point and then you can add as much microtransaction stuff on as you want because mm-hmm. you've already stated from the off this is a game that will be better with additional and I think or that's even right. more so if it's free like yeah, Fortnite, yeah. Look at Apex. yeah literally I was going to say free. I think Apex is the is the nexus of all that because, because Apex yeah. is making bank at the yeah moment, and it's been it? received very positively mm-hmm. like you can you know the barrier for entry is obviously extremely low you can just play it and mm-hmm. you know it all goes from there it, it tends to be that again though it comes back to the identity of the project and like if you can have a face guiding that stuff or explaining it to the public mm-hmm. or whatever um, but to bring it all full circle like there's so many elements as to why a developer or a publisher yeah. doesn't just do the thing that the fans want because it might not necessarily be monetizable. I mean, just I was going to mention this right at the beginning, but mm. just to drop an, a, a specific name on the idea of what the fans want, look at something like Shenmue 3. Yeah. Mm. Got Kickstarter backed and then it, it got announced and What's-His-Face came on stage at E3 and everyone shat themselves. Yep. And Forget his name, but yep. yeah. Yu Suzuki, I think. Yeah, Yu Suzuki. Uh-huh. And then it's like, everyone's really concerned about this game because it's like, yes, it's a fan service game, but that's not always a good thing. Mm. Yeah. When you look at like, movies when you look at things like suicide squad it's like mm. this this film was made for the fans literally by the trailer company literally yeah. it's like that all that tells me is this is going to be really bad and you're making some rubbish <laughs> excuse as to why it's bad it's only meant to cater for certain people mm-hmm. and so yeah making stuff that the fans would want specifically i get something as big as like diablo immortal as an example like there were, the, the backlash that was given to that i think was completely justified mm. because no same with command and conquer it, yeah. yeah no fan wanted it. it's like you're just blatantly t- i mean the idea you know oh you don't have phones like the idea of getting those kind of games on a mobile is kind of fantastic yeah. like mm. having that when they said when they announced elder scrolls blades which is apparent from what i've heard it's actually i'm playing that it's yeah it's solid. solid it's fine so it's like very microtransaction heavy though i mean yeah of it, course yeah. it will be but it's like to, to take that sort of extra box on the side that's fine but to mm-hmm. do it entirely to replace something then yeah that that is something that is against what the fans mm-hmm. would want mm. i think it might be another topic to expand in another podcast but i think there's that weird like silent majority that like do you know like fallout 76 still ended the charts anthem still ended yep. the charts all these games that like the vast majority of us turn our noses up for for whatever reasons based in how long we've been gaming or whatever it is like there is that silent majority that just that will pay microtransactions like whether it comes from a, like, a whale as they call them like some some business executive with a few thousand pounds to or spare. Or just people that like playing the game. Yeah, or people that grew up with microtransactions. I mean, there was a horrible, a horror story of a, a <laughs> friend of mine whose uh, little cousin was playing something and um, and turned around and died in, uh, I think it was in Mario, and um, and just said, oh, where do I buy more lives? Just oh. just assumed that it was in there. And it's like, oh, they've got their tendrils in. Like, yeah. if, if they convince the, you know, if, it, if it's out there enough, then a newer generation will grow up assuming microtransactions are the norm. Yeah. And it's like, it's this weird bygone thing that a full game was given to you for a price. So yeah. Going to leave everyone on that particularly horrifying note. Uh, but for now, this has been the What Culture Gaming Podcast. I've been your host, Scott Taylor. And you can find us all on the Twitters. But for now, I've been joined by Rich Hudson. Thank you for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at PickupChangeToe. And Jules Girl. Thank you very much for having me. You can follow me at RetroJ with a zero. But before we end, I just want to say... <sighs> 
you can play whatever you want. Yes. You can like whatever you like and you can dislike whatever you like. It is completely up to you what you spend your money on. Don't let three very white, very nerdy men tell you what <laughs> to think, all right? Because otherwise, but, but, we're just EA. Yeah, but, but go play Shovel Knight. Go play Shovel Knight. Yeah. Bye. 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 <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.